This is the Fearless Agent Podcast, where you learn how to make way more money fast selling real estate with your host, the fearless agent himself, Bob Leffler. And good day to you. This is Bob right here at the Fearless Agent Podcast for real estate sales professionals just like you, where we explain why Everything you've been taught by the entire real estate industry is wrong, and you will make lots more money in way less time by doing the exact opposite. And I'm joined in studio only by my producer, program director, we call him, Ramon. Directing the program, leading the ship, pressing the buttons. Nonstop. I'm here for you. Hilarity. I'm here for you. Now, uh, we always start with the or the headlines of the day. You remember the headlines of the day, Ramon? Oh, you, I do. It's your those, favorite part of the show. Those require that, that drum roll. Oh, look, we have that? Okay. All right. Okay. Here's, uh, in a recent survey, love the surveys. I do. Most Californians say they oppose the death penalty for murder. Did you hear about that? I did not. They do, however, support it for driving slow in the left lane. That I do understand. That I get. I don't that condo- I, I can tell I you. don't condone it, but I understand <laughs> it. We don't condone murder. We participate in it. It's different. Okay. So um, last week we were talking about real estate investing. I think we're going to talk about that again. Fun stuff. It's nonstop like fun. I was telling you after the last podcast, I have no money, but now I want to invest. Yeah, well, that's the key. If you want to invest... You'll want to make more money. You couldn't do it here. This is not the place to make a lot of money, is no, it? No, not really, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> but you can get, you know, you could drive Uber on the side and save up some money, <laughs> something like that. Have you ever taken that Dave Ramsey course? I have not, but I've listened to his program. Yeah, I took that course. How that's was a, that? That's yeah. a good thing. He gives horrible advice on real estate. Does he? Yeah, but it's based on mistakes he made, which I could have talked about of he was commercial right on his real estate that's uh, how he lost uh, went bankrupt the first time i think there may have been some of that yeah. but it was uh multi-family stupidity but it was oh. uh, he did every single thing wrong and then he says now he says to avoid that you just don't invest in real estate <laughs> unless you're paying cash which is a horrible idea but but everything else he said was right oh, and, yeah. That's uh, pretty good. and i i follow his example so um, so here's the deal. Investing uh, is done wrong by most investors. And like I talked about last week, we, we mentioned that you go to these investor clubs and these uh, investor get-togethers, and they're giving you horrible advice. And I remember I would go to those, and they'd say, oh, this part of town is where you got to do it. This type of property is where you got to do it. This type of thing is what you got to do, and you'll get a higher appreciation rate. And I I remember thinking, well, you know, I've lived here since 1958. You know, these people are coming in from out of town and and pontificating. I'd say, you know, I think that is provably wrong, and you could check it out, and I proved them wrong. So I knew I was getting bad advice from people, and – so then I one thing leads to a number, and I, I meet somebody who does actually have it figured out. They were teaching the exact opposite. Um, so we've been talking about those secrets. So one of the another secret that that um, is true is, you know, if you have a mutual fund, um, and you probably have a mutual fund, do you have a mutual fund? 
Yes. Okay. So that mutual fund has a manager. They have somebody that picks the stocks for you. You don't. You're not involved in any decision making of any kind. Not at all. And if you have a, do you know what rate of return you get on your mutual no, fund? I don't. Well, it wouldn't be uncommon for somebody to get eight percent, sixteen percent, something like that. And if when your rate of return is forty percent, which is what it would be in your own neighborhood if you were to buy a rental in your neighborhood you could easily afford a professional manager. So this this baloney of I'm going to be taking calls from tenants late at night and that kind of stuff, uh, that is crazy. Now, I have broken every rule in real estate my own self. I had a rental that was a condo. Horrible idea. I managed it myself. Horrible idea. But one of the things to remember is the tenant should have a 24-7 experience for managing the property. So uh, I had a tenant that was actually uh, a friend of mine. So um, not a, he was an acquaintance, I guess I would say. So very nice guy, him and his girlfriend. They were, they were lovely people. And um, they took very good care of my condo. And when I would leave town and go on vacation, they would come over to my house and mow my lawn and take in my mail. So I trust the guy, you know, completely. So a couple of things I did, I would send them a bill for the uh, rent. So what they would get a letter with a self-addressed stamped envelope, and in the bill it would say, if this is returned to me before X date, you get a discount on the rent. So I never had lent. The rent was never late. They always did want to participate in the minor discount. And I and it made it easy. They can't say, "Oh, I forgot," because I sent them the reminder. So um, that's a good idea to do if you're if you're going to not have a professional manager. The other thing I did was uh, I had an account with the local plumbing company. I had an account with an air conditioning guy. I had an account with a electrician and a handyman. And I gave him the phone numbers and I said, "If anything ever breaks." You just call these people. They'll come over and fix it. You don't need to call me. It'll get fixed. And all those people were on notice that they're not allowed to, you know, do a room addition at my expense, of course. So he had a 24-7 experience. Uh, I could go out of town, which I did, and the air conditioning would break and it would get handled without me being notified. But um, a better way to go would be to have a professional property manager. So... One of the things that happens is uh, I, would, I would draw a little picture here. So draw two for rent signs for those of you tuning in. And one says F-R-B-O, for rent by owner. The other one says we evict you in 10 seconds, professional property manager. Okay. Now, the, the tenant – who is a bad tenant, they know they're going to be a bad tenant because they were a bad tenant last time. They have problems with meth and stuff like that. So uh, if, you, if you have a professional property manager, the rent you get will be lower. That's true. You will get a lower amount of rent. The difference is you will actually get the rent because the bad tenant knows he's a bad tenant. And when you say, oh, we're charging uh, $1,800 
a month for something that's worth $1,100 a month, they go, yeah, I'll pay it. I don't care what the rent is because they're not going to pay it. (laughs) Nobody ever argues about the rent when they know they're not going to pay it. So it eliminates the bad tenant when you have that sign out front that says, professional, we evict you in 10 minutes, property manager. So I had a uh, many, many episodes ago, we had uh, the property, my property manager, Dave Swaim, on the show. I don't think you remember that. I do. It was like years ago, 100 episodes ago, right? And uh, he said one of the things they look for, everybody has bad credit. Everybody who's a tenant has bad credit. That's why they're a tenant. They would own a house if they didn't have bad credit. What they look for is convictions and evictions. So they do a background check and eliminate the guy that's you know been arrested for all kinds of horrible things. So it eliminates all that stuff. You don't have to listen to the sob stories. They are not going to ever call you because they don't know your phone number. And that literally is the way to go. So I have some of my coaching students who live in California. They invest in Scottsdale because we have a lower entry rate uh, to be a, you know, same same uh, rate of return, but a lower entry rate. And then uh, they have them professionally managed and, uh, you know, they have a good, a good, re- and they use Dave. So that's a good thing. So if you're, if you're, again, if you're going to have a rate of return of 40% to 60% on your rate of return, you can afford to have a professional property manager. So now what I would – we're going to do math on the air. What happens when we do oh, math on I the air? I am ready for that. Here we go. Math, math is so much fun, so much fun for everyone. Math. Yeah, math. Math. Oh, that go. was lovely. That's it. Yeah, see the math. Who else has math walk-in music? I don't think anybody No, does. we may be the only, only math – Yeah, We should be the only one. So uh, is there a math podcast? Is that – Probably I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there's a math Really? Podcast. You think yeah. so? Yeah. Oh, that's got to be dull. I wonder if they yeah. use that. So we have a jingle for math now. So uh, what I would have all of you do – now, I I draw little crosshairs on your, uh, on your uh, piece of paper in front of you. For those of you taking notes, and then just write down a one-mile square area with street boundaries from your part of town that is – probably uh, six or eight miles from downtown on the good side of town, not the hood side of town, using the examples we gave on the on the last show. Um, so single-family homes, homogenous area, an area where you think it would have high appreciation. Um, so just, just write the street thing. Now, I would recommend that you do an MLS search from back in time. So what I did is I just picked the average prices published in the tax records for houses that were 1,400 square feet to 1,700 square feet, uh, which would be typical for that area that I picked, uh, and and good size, you know, three-bedroom, two-bath homes for that would make good rentals, homes without pools. So in my town – uh, I would say more than half the houses probably have a pool, especially in that age because they add pools and they never take them out. So um, so I'm just picking the houses without pools. So 1,400 to 1,700 square foot, what are the average prices? Now, in 1989, so we can write this down, in 1989, the average house sold for $80,000. 
And in 1999, the houses, those same houses, the average price was 135.5. Okay, roughly. So, if you had gone to and I and I like that decade. If you could get these stats for that particular decade, it would be good because. I didn't cherry pick the best decade. It had about half of that was bad, and uh, the other half was good. Okay, it wasn't there was no fantastic years, and there was some fairly bad years. So, um, so don't use the decade between. Um, don't use anything in 2000. After 2000, you're not going to use that decade. So go back in time because at, at, after 2003, nothing has been normal since. So, you, so you're looking for normal. So we've had uh, fake deflation, I would call it, and then hyperinflation, which was also fake, and then some, norm, some normality. So right now, is the market normal? No, it is not. Since Dodd-Frank was passed, uh, it has not been normal. And certainly after 2003, 2003 was like the last normal year for real estate market. That doesn't mean it's bad or good. It's just not normal. Okay. So your example, you want to pick a decade. And then in that decade, there was an increase of $55,000. So again, for your area, if you're listing in another town, the the prices would be different. The decade would be probably similar, and the increase was fifty five thousand or fifty five hundred annually. Okay, so I want to figure out what the annual rates of return are if I put ten percent down, or twenty percent down, or thirty percent down. So if I had put, let's say in 1989, I bought that typical $80,000 house in the, in the neighborhood that I do recommend. So what I'm doing to an investor is saying, this is where you should invest. This is what you should buy. And this is what did happen in the past, okay? So because I want to give them some, some historical uh, information. So Let's say I bought an $80,000 house in 1989 in that neighborhood. If, if I had put, because I was super rich and didn't have to worry about risk whatsoever, I, I, would, I could put 10% down. Now, I would not recommend uh, to the typical investor to put less than 30% down. But if I put 10% down, I would have had a rate of return of about 68% each year, okay? So that includes uh, equity buildup, uh, the tax advantages, and the appreciation. So if I put 20% down, my rate of return goes down to 34.4, roughly. And if I put 30% down, it goes down to 23%, roughly. Excuse me, that does not include equity buildup. And so when I'm, when I'm renting out my house and I'm taking rent payments, I would have some positive cash flow, maybe. If I have any positive cash flow, I'm going to pay down the loan. Uh, and when I'm making payments, the normal payment amount, I'm paying down the loan. Now, not very much, but if I make extra payments, 
but I'm at least going to get that paid down. Now, that means I'm gaining equity in the house, even if the house never went up in value, I'm still gaining equity. Uh, and then the uh, other magic trick I'm getting is a tax benefit. So I will pay less in income taxes because I own a rental, because the for whatever reason, the federal government wants me to be a landlord to provide affordable housing for other people ostensibly. So at least that's their story, and I think they're sticking to it. So uh, I think more the reason is the people in Congress happen to be landlords. I think that probably is it, that they're not tenants. So they get tax benefits too. So the more I put down, the lower my rate of return. But with 30% down, I'm getting a 23% rate of return. I'm getting another 15% built in. So that puts me at 38. So I'm almost at 40% um, with 30% down. And that would probably give me a break-even cash flow. So you can you can do the math on all of that. You know, the other thing I wanted to say to avoid is if you can avoid properties with association fees, that tamps down the appreciation. So high property taxes, abnormally high, and uh, high association fees keep the property from appreciating. So you would, if you can avoid those two things – so we're lucky in Phoenix that we have extraordinarily low uh, property taxes, uh, not not extraordinarily low taxes. We soak you in other areas, but not on properties. But that causes the appreciation to be higher. And then older neighborhoods tend not to have association fees, so that's all good. So I'm showing my investor uh, what's going on in the neighborhood or what has already gone on in the neighborhood that I'm recommending. Now, if I had go in a time machine and go back to 1989 and somebody's living in that neighborhood in a 1,500 square foot, three bedroom, two bath house on a little tiny uh, normal residential lot in average condition, and I said, hey, your property is worth $80,000. I said, in 10 years, if I had said in 10 years, this same property will be worth $135,000, they would have thought I was high. They would say, that'll never happen. Now, it doesn't sound like very big numbers now, but imagine it's an $800,000 house, and you're telling them in, in 10 years it's going to be almost 1.4. They'd say, that's crazy. That will never happen. But in fact, it will happen. So, And it won't happen every decade, but on average, that's a very average decade. So if I if I look at the houses in that neighborhood there, realistically, roughly, they were built at about $10,000. That's about what they were sold for new in 1958. Then they went to 20, then they went to 40, then they went to 80, and there it is 1989. Then it went to 160, and now they're at 320. So that has continued to happen all those times. So uh, and, and of course, the, the money is not worth what it used to be, but that's part of what inflation does. So it's, it's a couple of things going on. It's not just inflation that causes that to happen. It's, it's in the right part of town because I can go to other parts of town that were built the same year, and that is not true. They are not selling for 320 They were built actually the same year by the same exact builder, 
but they're on the west side of town, uh, so they would be exactly 16 miles west of these houses, and today they're selling for about 160 So they've doubled half as much, half as many times is the way to look at that. So having the right area is, is important. And then, it, and then also, if you can't afford that area as a rental, let's say 320 is the barrier to, uh, uh, of entry or the price of admission, then, yeah, go to, a, go to a farther out neighborhood until you can afford it. It won't be as high a rate of return, but it would still be higher than any other investment probably that you would, you would be able to do. So the, the uh, uh, you know, I have a client or, a, yeah, coaching, coaching call client. His name is James, and uh, his in-laws had a house, and uh, it was in Santa Clara, California. So it was 1,350 square feet when it was built. Now, when I do a presentation for an investor, I always ask them in the beginning questions, tell me, and we did this a little bit on the show, previous show. Uh, And by the way, if any of the stuff that we talk about on this show makes sense to you and you happen to be earning, and this is the shameless plug. Now, we do need shameless plug music in the future. I will be working on that. Because when I do a shameless plug, it would be good to set it up. Oh, it is shameless. I'm going to do some coffee right now. Just I need a break. That I can do for you again. Oh, that's refreshing. You know, we should update away. that to Starbucks, but... No, 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 no. You no, know, I don't like Starbucks. You're not, oh, you're Can not, am I allowed to say that on the air? You sure. Kill that sponsorship. Podcast. There you go. It tastes burnt to me. Is Does that it right? taste burnt? Are you, are you a Starbucks I, guy? No, not at all. I like cheap coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I like Folgers. Anyway, you know, because I'm classy. You know how classy I oh, am. Oh, you are. I have a $12 drip on-off button only coffee machine. $12. And I've plowed through 10 of those. I bought, I've, I've worn out 10 of them. Yeah. That's a, I don't need a bunch of features. I, don't, I just wanted on, to make coffee. Off. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. No coffee and coffee. Those are the only two settings. <laughs> but if this, if this stuff we talk about here on the big show, if it, this makes sense to you and you happen to be earning less selling real estate than you wish you were and you're open to the idea of having some help, what if you're a real estate company owner, for goodness sakes? Maybe – you're recruiting fewer producing agents than you wish you were, and you're open to having some help with that. Either way, if you'd like to learn more about fearless agent coaching, uh, you can always call me toll-free day or night at 480-385-8810. That is my cell phone, and we will just see if what you're trying to do and what we do, if it would be a good fit. If it is, you will get rich. If it's not, we'll still help you in some other ways. So... Go to fearlessagent.com. We have a webinar there you can watch. I would also go to the speaking page, which is where I sell my little speaking gigs. Watch that video. If you're an owner, go to fearlessagentrecruiting.com. Watch that video, and uh, that will help you out. Um, but any anything we can ever help you in any way, just, again, call me at 480-385-8810. And um, we will help you. So James, he's a coaching student. um, And I said, uh, let me ask you about a house you are familiar with, James. So he says, uh, I said, are you a homeowner? He said, no. 
uh, or I, I think he said, yes. I said, how long have you lived in your house? He goes, oh, just a couple of years. How about the house before that? No, just a couple of years. I go, how about your parents? No, they're in a different town. He goes, my in-laws live in, in Santa Clara. I go, uh, let's talk about that. What year was it built? He said 1958. I said, what year did they buy it? He said 1986. Great. Now, that would be my example to use for an investor. I need to talk to the investor about a house that they know the numbers on, that they are familiar with, that they saw it happen, so they know it's real. And I have to have a at least a 20-year span of history on it and not have it be in the wrong decade. So his in-law's house was built in 1958 and sold for $8,000 new, okay? It is currently worth $1.5 million, okay? So is that a good investment? Yeah. I don't need the calculator for that You don't that need the calculator for no. that? Good, because doing math on the air, it's a, it's a way to ice the crowd. So in 1986... Uh, it had gone from eight thousand to sixteen thousand to thirty two to sixty four to one hundred and thirty okay so in one thousand nine hundred and eighty six it 's one hundred and thirty thousand is what they paid. The rent they get is three thousand seven hundred and fifty a month okay and so in so i I know all that information, so I want to get all that information I can get on any property that they know about. Or if they have a rental now, I want to know about it. And so there's a 34-year ownership. The total gain was $1.2 million. The annual gain was 37000 If they had put 30% down in 1986, they would have put 40000 down. And their annual rate of return would be about 90%, which is pretty good, better than most people's mutual fund is doing. So... The question then is, Mr. Investor, how many of those do you wish you had bought in 1986? And the answer is all of them. Yeah. So now they're intimately familiar with that property. It re- it's real because it happened. So the, the examples I'm giving about the area I'm recommending, it's kind of theoretical. Yeah, we think that'll probably happen. But when this other thing is real because it happened to them, and then the closing question, if you will, is how many of those do you wish you had bought in 1986? That's what makes them do it. And then they just have to make a decision. So the decision is simple. Uh, Is that what you want to do? And they say, yeah, that's what I want to do. And then the question is, well, since that's a good idea and that is what you want to do, then you just have to decide, do you want to do it with me? And they always said, yes, Bob, I want to do it with you because no other agent was able to explain it. So if you can't explain it, it's probably not – you're not the right agent for them. I was able to explain it and that's, that really is the secret. So um, uh as usual, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Hopefully you learned a lot about being an investor or working with investors. You can please do visit us at fearlessagent.com. You can always call me directly at 480-385-8810. Please do give us a five-star review of this podcast. If you like the podcast and you're interested in doing coaching, 
uh, someday. I never sell you on it. I just want to make sure it's a good fit for you. So feel free to give me a call. No obligation. We'll have fun. Until next week, you have fun. Be humble. But above all, be fearless. Thanks, gang. Thanks, gang.